Okay, so you know last week when I said I cannot wait to get my internet back up and running. Yeah, th- th- that was going to happen imminently, as I recall. It was like... Like, within, uh, like, a day after the release of the episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was going to be, like, seconds away, to my understanding. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, right on the cusp of it. Uh, after waiting, like, three weeks, uh, I was a couple days out when we last recorded. It was Wednesday uh, when we last recorded. Uh, internet coming back on Friday. You'll notice I'm speaking in past tense. You'll notice I'm not saying I've got to the internet. You'll notice I've said I was looking forward to the internet on Friday. I mean, for all I can tell, you've got the internet. You're on a you're on an internet-based call with us here. I, it sounds like you've got the internet. That's what Virgin tried to argue on Twitter. Tried to get fucking fresh with someone oh god did they try and do the well if you've got internet to tweet us about the problem you're clearly not lacking internet that much i fucking i fucking complained on twitter and i'm not even gonna get into the runaround that has ended Mm. with an email from one of their tech people asking me for my bank sorting code which no thank you no what the fuck right i need to like chase that up so that's a new line of complaint that i've got is fucking virgin um workers reaching out asking for bank details um but anyway uh yeah i'm slagging them off on twitter as is my inalienable right Uh, (laughs) and they're you know the predictable coming in and trying to you know oh we're so sorry can we schedule a chat and they're kind of working a little bit harder because of my reach i think so they were actually Mm. like i I don't think they could done any anyway like the point is it's another three weeks that (laughs) the day i recorded that night hours after i was talking to you two saying i can't wait to get my internet back i got a text from virgin saying yeah we are pushing it back another three weeks sorry sorry anyway yeah so i i i was devastated i i've been in the dumps i mean it's understandable you got to the finish line and they said fuck you we moved the finish line and after like eight months of like not being settled and having a home like i just want to i don't i have not known what normal is meant to look like since i moved to back to the uk Mm. well you did move to the uk i'm not sure you'll ever know (laughs) well yeah um as normal as one can get living in the uk um like, I don't know what my normal looks like, and I'm so desperate to get to it. And, like, working is so hard right now. I have more enthusiasm for my job than I've had in quite some time, and it is so fucking hard to maintain it when I'm working on a tethered phone. Yeah. A lack of stability, particularly in terms yes. of access to the thing you need to do the work. Like, the stop-start just really throws your flow. Would you call that the means of production? <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> I mean, it is it is it is means of production, uh, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> anyway, um, to to loop back to what I looped to before I looped back to what I was talking about um, with Virgin getting fucking fresh, they asked to schedule a chat with their technician, and someone replied, "Oh yeah, they've just told you they don't have internet, and you're asking them to schedule a web chat. Well done." And then they replied with. Well, it would be through the medium they used to send their tweet. At which point, Rob Sheridan, I think it was, replied with shots fired. But then Phoenix replied with, yeah, they're using my internet. The one that it took you six weeks to set up. (laughs) So, 
That was good. And then we, uh, you know, asked them if they were going to apologize for getting fresh after uh, the next day when they sent me a link to speak with their little technician and it didn't work on my phone. And when we tried it on V's phone, it brought up a a chat box uh, that didn't work, didn't open on mine, didn't work on theirs. Um, So I told them, like, you know, again, I went back to Twitter and I'm like, this, your attempt to fix this has made it worse because now I'm doubly pissed off that you've wasted my time. I said I was free at 10. 90 minutes later, I finally got the link that didn't work. Aren't they a telecommunications company? Well, the thing about Virgin is they are a multimedia company that dabble in telecommunications. Okay, but 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 it is telecommunications. Could they not just fucking call? In theory, in theory, yes. They're in this weird position of simultaneously being... As a consumer, like, non-business consumer, they are probably the best option for fast internet in terms of, like, what they're offering you. But also, they're primarily a TV company, and, like, yeah, they they treat it like it's a, like, internet is a second thought. Which is weird, considering they're, the, like, the best thing in town, if you can fucking get them set up. <laughs> Certainly here, like, the only other competitor, really, is BT, doing, like, 36 megs a second, which is, like... I might as well stay tethered to my fucking phone at that rate. So yeah, it's just been a fucking disaster. And I'm really worried that in three weeks time, they're going to be like, yeah, it's going to ruin another three weeks, mate. Because it's just, what the, what the fuck? Listener, am I meant to do? You just want some internet is all. It's not that much to ask. Just a little drop of internet. Just drop it in the bucket. Just a just a little a little bit of internet for a treat. Just 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 open up that tube. Yeah, yeah. Got a whole series. Yeah, take one of the internet pipes and just sort of spray it in in your direction. That's how it works. Yeah, spread them. (laughs) Just soak soak you in that internet. Spread that fiber. Uh, Yeah. So it's been. It's actually not been a bad week, though, all things considered. Yeah. Um, I've been in high spirits despite the bullshit. It's been the week where you got to announce the thing you've been excitedly working on for a while. Yes, yes. Which you should you should promote, do it. Absolutely. Well, I should promote because I am indeed a promoter. <gasps> you are. Commander Stephanie Sterling is not just uh, one of the most popular... Um, performers in British independent wrestling today. They are now a wrestling promoter. Phoenix and myself co-founded a wrestling promotion, an all-new one in Sheffield um, called Spectrum Wrestling. This is something I've talked about doing. Actually, um, my Facebook memories showed me that one year ago today, I talked about wanting to start a wrestling uh, show in Philly. Um, so it's taken a year and I'm in a different country, but Spectrum Wrestling is finally a thing. It is in Sheffield at the PPW facility um, at uh, South Bank Warehouse. It's um, September 24th. Our first show is Rejoice. Uh, we're in the process of making announcements. We have like incredible UK talent. We have Gia Adams, Man Like Darice, Mercedes Blaze, Gene Money, um, many more. Um, we, we are super excited. We've got some all new talent, which we've been able to, um, meet by way of PPW, uh, where I train mm. and, and 
yeah, we've we've got some like really big up and comers that we're going to be able to announce. Um, such names as Axel the Clown, Gentleman Jim, like some amazing characters, which is what Spectrum's sort of all about is very character led um i'm super excited our first um at the time of talking our first announced match is um obviously mine uh thought we'd lead off with that one <laughs> commander sterling versus priscilla queen of the ring they are a pcw's uh champion at the moment um we've shared a locker room several times I actually fought alongside each other uh, at the wacky rumble uh, that uh oh, the, the inflatable thing the yeah rumble at the inflatable park yeah fought, fought alongside uh, priscilla there and i got to handpick my own opponent uh because obviously i'm co-running things you're running it it's one of the, the one of the, the little rewards you get absolutely and you know wrestling uk wrestling's premier drag queen is perhaps the closest rival to my own fabulousness. So I, I, you know, we've both been very excited about um, facing off uh, at some point, and we're going to be doing that uh, on September twenty fourth. Bell time is seven, I think. Pre show, I, be- I believe. Six- I believe six thirty pre show, uh, seven start. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, doors open six thirty. Uh, bell time is seven pm. We will also be live streaming uh, from six thirty onwards uh, at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um, very similar to when we live stream things like the Polyam Cult Party and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, uh, we will be selling tickets very soon. Uh, we are just waiting to get our one hundred percent confirmation from um, Sheffield itself uh, for the event. We anticipate no problems. I'm very excited. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be running yeah. the pre-show. I'm going to be on the, the live stream throughout. I'm going to be be talking about all the wrestles that are happening. I helped out a little bit with the uh, accessibility policy stuff as well, which I'm I, I'm really proud of. And, yeah, uh, yeah, thank we've you. We've got some really neat stuff going there. Yeah, it's going to be a really good event. It, it really is. I'm super excited. Like, you know, obviously, I would say that it's going to be good because I'm trying to sell people on it, but like... I am so proud of the card we've put together. I I am aware of the card you've put together and you should be fucking proud. Yeah. The talent that I've got to meet this past year in my travels in the UK and the people I've gotten along with and the people who I know are just like super talented, both in like established UK promotions and these brand new uh, talent. I've put together a show that in my opinion is perfect like it is exactly what i want for a debut show uh, i'm so proud of of the matches we have coming um and yeah so announcements coming with our twitter account is at spectrum pw um do give that a follow of course i'll be retweeting everything as well um yeah so that's that that promotion out the way thank you very much for indulging me um spectrum wrestling september 24th our debut show rejoice in Sheffield, uh, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Woo! I'm a promoter now. Yeah, hell yeah! Look at you go, right? Fuck yeah! And unlike some of, unlike some other um, recent indie pr- promoters, uh, I'm gonna pay my talent. Ooh, spicy! I confirmed, confirmed. Talent will be paid. <sighs> it is depressing. That's a thing you have to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's Polquisition. We sometimes talk about video games. We do. We have our little dalliances. Yeah. Who's who's played a video game this week? Is anyone has anyone dared play one? Oh God. 
I know. The, the shock and horror of it all. I, I'm concerned. Yeah, how dare people play video games? But I think we all have. And we all have. I've played a good few. Yeah. Conrad's played a couple. Uh, how many have I played? I don't remember how much I've played. I, 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 I'll, I'll kick us off with yeah, like something that's like a real, real simple one. So I finally properly gotten deep into Vampire Survivors. Despite having played like 45 hours of it prior to last week's podcast recording... I finally did the thing where I was like, okay, I'm going to go through all of the um, the little challenges and complete all the objectives and look in the secrets and try and do all the thing, the secret unlocks. And I've unlocked uh, the, the the big the big final character. There are probably some characters in the secrets menu that I haven't unlocked yet, but I have the the big the big one. And I know that this is, like, not on the level that some people have achieved, but I've started getting some runs where it's like, okay, yeah, I hit, like, level 500 in a single run, got, like, 300,000 gold, starting to really get together in my head what I want runs to be, and it is all starting to click. And it's still fundamentally the exact same experience. I booted up to go do the thing that goes well so that number go up, but... Number is going up considerably more now, and that's good, and I like that. I don't think I, I have anything like terribly insightful to say in that regard. Well, have you? Are you? What's your approach? Okay, so right now my approach is, I, I'm just going to name the character because I don't think it's that big a spoiler. But with um, I, I've been playing around a little bit with Queen Sigma. Sure. With um, trying to get the uh the three like combination weapons set up as early as I can. So like. The pair of birds, the pair of guns, the uh, pair of fused whips. Interesting. Uh, is my sort of starting starting point. Um, and then trying to get a few like de- things that are going to protect me from incoming damage when we get to the phase where like the the deaths start showing up. So something like the upgraded laurel, but n- like not going for the um, for evolving it because that caps it at thirty one minutes. But I will still go get like one of the rings and one of the arrows to increase the um, the amount of enemies coming in so that I can speed myself up. In terms of the arcana, I've been trying to go for the... Um, there's an arcana that raises your max HP yep. when you take damage. And trying to use that to deliberately run into a bunch of enemies to deliberately push up my max HP. Mm-hmm. To basically like try and mitigate any any damage I do take from from the deaths. And pairing that with the Gemini that like um, massively increases like the guns and the birds damage output on top of that. I know there are other things I could be doing, but right now like that's the basics of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's things I'm missing still, but like I, I, I'm that is definitely a step up from where I was a week ago. Oh, for sure. I take a um, I've taken a pretty different approach. I like Queen Sigma. But my problem with them is that they are, uh, they have a real cap yeah. on, on, on their ability because they can't collect golden eggs. Oh, yeah. So there, you know, you, you can't build their stats. To be fair, like Queen Sigma, I literally unlocked last night, which is right. why I've been messing around with her. But like, I've, I've also, what's the name of the, um, the, the dragon skeleton thing? Um, oh, uh, Gaines. Yes, I've been playing. I've been playing around with Gamesborough a fair bit, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, and I, maybe, maybe long term that'll that'll be better. But like, I, I've been enjoying like short term playing around with the flood of Arcanas that Queen Sigma gets. Yeah, that that is 
that's tremendously fun mm. because you can get just so very powered very quickly right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I had built up Zeacinta for a very, very long time. Uh, which, which one's that? That's the one who starts with the second whip and gains the might every level. I unlocked them yesterday. I haven't really played around with them a lot. I chose them because I did want to use a paired weapon. Yeah. It's 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 why like up until up until I got some of the late game ones, I was starting with the one that starts with both of the guns. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had as well. And but I mm. I had switched to Zeacinta around the time that Golden Eggs became available. Yeah. I think, and that's so I just sort of stuck with them. Um, I've shifted a bit now to um whoever the jester character is that uh, is also the salesman yes yes um uh trouser trouser i'm switching to try i'm trying to start working on trouser a bit and that's because of the greed bonus that's the one that gets to start with whatever item they like the candy box yeah they start with the candy box yeah yeah um so i i like that aspect of it being able to start with a starting weapon uh, the problem is that the most important weapon for me to collect in my run is the pentagram. As someone that like didn't initially like the pentagram, I've I've grown to really fucking love it, and right. it's usually like the last thing I get. See, it's it's the first thing I get, or the first one I want to get whenever possible. But I need some other starting weapon because it's so difficult to gain exp if that's the only thing you've got i i've been i've been playing around with it a few different ways like whether whether i pick it up right at the end or at the start because i really like once it's fully leveled up it is really good and i did mess around for a while doing the character that starts with both the guns set gemini as the arcana that was enough damage output to carry me until pentagram stopped getting rid of all the gems mm -hmm. but like there are certain Certain level, and, and I think the reason I stopped doing that was largely because I was trying to do a bunch of objectives in levels and, like, evolve a bunch of the weapons, and having the pentagram early meant that I was occasionally accidentally destroying my own treasure chests before I had a chance to upgrade weapons, Yeah, and that was fucking up some of my evolution runs. But I might go back to picking it up earlier again. Well, part of the leveling aspect of this is that the character that you have applied a bunch of levels to starts with a bunch of curse and a bunch of bonus to XP. So this is a problem mm. that becomes less and less of an issue. By the time I hit the 10-minute mark, which is where the first chest appears that will give you an evolution, generally, I have almost everything available to be leveled. Uh, yeah. Because I'm gaining so much more experience so much faster. Um, and that's the other aspect of my strategy, too, is that I focus now on... Okay, how many curses can I take? Yes, I've been leaning into that more recently as well, is what what can I do to like really spam up the amount of stuff that's coming to attack me the second I feel competent to deal with it? Mm -hmm. Now, the, the issue with this is that, I mean, yeah, the bone zone, which is the best place to make money. Yes. You can't kill anything. In the last five minutes, <laughs> like it takes forever because you've built up so much curse mm. that they have so much health that the only things you're killing are if you have Laurel and you're taking damage from them and killing a burst there or you have the clock lancet that's cutting their damn their health in half mm. and you're just sort of following that around cleaning up very, very slowly. But that is what I tend to do. I... What I will generally do is try to get the pentagram. 
I've lately been going with the stone mask, which means I'm also picking up uh, the Gado, but that's only if I'm not in the bone zone. And I assume this is because you're using it to just um, go to that one level where you can pump golden eggs into a character with cash. Yep, that's it. Yeah. I'm, you know, uh, going, getting 30 or so a run in golden eggs and then pumping that into another character. To build them up. Yeah, like, now, now that I have the unlocks um, available, I'm starting to see, like, the value in me doing more runs that are, like, primarily aiming for a bunch of cash to pour into characters I like. And, yeah, it's, it's I'm starting to, like, really see the end goal of where I should be pointing towards, and I'm still having so much fun with this game. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really good. I'm really glad that I saved, like, a bunch of the like focusing on going through the unlocking for when I was in a real mood for I want a I want a big numbers ADHD collectathon, and I've been deliberately saving it for like I want a time where that's exactly what I want, and it did not disappoint. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, Steph, have you played anything? Hello, I played a good couple things this week actually. Um, there's one I forgot to note down, um, because we we you know, note for each other what we play before we record. Um, but I've been playing some of the Beta Force Steel Rising. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar uh, with this I'm game. Uh, yeah, I wasn't either, which surprises me. Because the moment I describe what it is, you'll wonder how I didn't know. It's a game about robots wearing powdered wigs. Thank you very much. Oh. Aha. Uh-huh. It's set in Paris. It's during, um, I, I presume, the, the French Revolution, uh, except with robots. Paris is, like, automated with all these little robots that run around, mm. and you are the bodyguard of, I think, the Queen. I don't know. I need to... I was There was a lot going on when I was trying to uh, play the fucking beta, um, but you are a robot called Aegis. Uh, you are a... Um, girl robot in fancy clothes with a powdered wig on and yeah i i was kind of delighted with the trailer because one of the bosses was clearly an automated guillotine with a face uh, and everything and it's developed by spiders spiders made this video game spiders how did they do it with all their tiny little legs well i it was a boon if anything you can type very quickly so many eyes so many legs yeah like very industrious well yeah but are the legs heavy enough to push down a keyboard key i don't know and they get they come out with little tiny ones now little teeny oh, tiny spider tiny keyboards ones the spiders um <laughs> but yeah spiders is a game developer that was um they make a lot of Eurojank. Mm, yeah. A lot. Uh, Mars Warlogs was one of theirs. I, I know they've done others of that level. I'm trying to remember if te- Technomancer was one of theirs. But it's all of that level. And this is no different, really. Um, visually, it's very interesting. Like, the the whole idea of these um, robots with very Baroque kind of... Like, they're engraved and stuff. Uh, so they all look, like, fancy. Which is really neat, and the the enemy designs and the main character designs are really inventive. Um, sort of this steampunky, um, and the, yeah, yeah, steampunk, but but with a a, a lot more of a classical um, aesthetic layered on top of it. But it is ultimately uh, and somewhat disappointingly, because uh, as much as I love them, I am reaching a point where I'm kind of getting over it now. It's a Souls like. Mm. 
ultimately uh, very, very much in that vein in terms of combat, in terms of character progression and the way it handles death and checkpoints. It's all all the structure you've seen before. And the main issue is because it is spiders and spiders are fucking jank when it comes to game design, it's not quite working smoothly. Not as smooth as it needs to. Enemies telegraphed attacks and your ability to dodge them, it's just, it's a little off. Just, just enough off to like be frequently more irritating than satisfying. Uh, it doesn't help that like enemy attack patterns are like not only poorly telegraphed but really swing around themselves. So you're not often feeling all that rewarded for dodging. I, I chose a weapon with a shield, and I've been relying on that a lot. Um, also, the stamina costs are obscene. In order to, to dodge and attack and block and all of that, you know, it's got a very Souls-like stamina system, but it drains so quick. And the way they've tried to get around that is if you um, hit a button at the cost of taking some frost damage, you can um, cool down. Like, because their idea of stamina for a robot is you overheat. So you can actually engage a coolant um, and take a bit of frost damage to stop the stamina from running out, which is a nice idea. Yeah. But it's it's not enough to counteract the fact that you are being expected to dodge some fairly aggressive enemies um, and attack at the same time with a stamina bar that drains way too quick. There's a lot to this game. It's got something. And I just hope that when they say beta, it's not like just a demo that they're calling a beta to sound fancy and they're not going to do much to change it. Because I think with tweaks, if they can just make make dodging feel just a little more effective and they can rebalance the stamina, I do think there's something here. I'm someone who had infinitely more patience for the glut of Souls-likes than some. But I am at the point now where I'm like, you're going to have to start being really special to stand out now because there's just so much. And just aesthetically and thematically, this game absolutely has something. You, it's got tricorn hats. Yeah. You know, you know me. I'm not a hard girl to please. You show me tricorn hats and they've got bicorns. Mm. Oh, yes. Um, so, yeah, like, you know, it's got the the system where armor is visual as well as uh, stat based. So, you know, you can dress up this robot with like, you know quilted fancy britches and and hats and stuff um you can choose from a variety of powdered wigs at character creation um it's got a couple character classes like you know there's like the bodyguard kind of one uh the dancer which starts with these fans and is all about sort of ducking and weaving or the alchemist which does elemental damage some really nice stuff it is relying a lot on its visuals and and just the basic premise to keep me super invested in it uh because it is dodgy as a game it's if you've played spiders or indeed any like you know what we call the eurojank game you know what you're in for it's exactly that in terms of quality i'm hopeful i will be playing it when it comes out like when it when it's in its final build i mean i'll have to i i 
pre-ordered it to get the beta because I was that fucking curious. I'm not one who does a lot of pre-ordering because I don't see the fucking point in it half the time. Um, but I was just too curious about this one. And bored because my internet is fucking down. And, and it takes three days to download a fucking game. In fact, I had to finish downloading that by bringing the fucking PS5 to Fee's house. But anyway, there's something to it. It's worth keeping an eye on. I'm not like, like uh, Casey Explosion asked if it's worth um, her buying it. And I said, you know, I, I explained all of this. I, I'm not at the point where I'm like, oh, people should buy it. I mean, I hate doing that anyway, telling people what to buy. But it's definitely worth keeping an eye on because it is an interesting game in terms of maybe not mechanically, but in terms of its narrative and, and general atmosphere. I'm hoping it goes somewhere more complex because right now it's just, oh, the king is bad and got these women locked up and you are the bodyguard of the women and you go out and fight robots. I really am hoping that it gets into some of the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, class struggle. Might be hoping for a bit too much, but we'll see. Mm. I mean, it's got a guillotine for a boss. I mean, that don't get much on the nose than that. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Right? So, yeah, uh, that's Steel Rising. What a generic name. Yeah. For a powdered wig robot game. Like, call it the powdered wig robot game. Don't call it Steel Rising. That that could be anything. I hate I, I really hate generic video game names for really good ideas. Yeah. What what happened? Like, this is a game that should have a title like some of my favourite like game titles, like A Machine for Pigs or Of Orcs and Men. Like, it should have one of those. Mm. Like a, a fancy, unique, attention-grabbing title. Not Steel Rising. That could be anything from, like, a first-person shooter to a mech battler to an rpg it could be anything anyway yeah worth keeping an eye on great character designs great idea uh narratively neat uh comrade what are you being playing this week i've been playing a game called arcade paradise oh i have seen trailers for this yeah it's a it's a sim where yeah. you are operating a laundromat <gasps> yeah and Trying to transition it into an arcade. Yes. Uh, it, it's set in 1993. Your father is a wealthy businessman who has uh, realized that he'd forgotten completely about a laundromat and gives it to you to manage. And you have half of a business degree mm. and quickly realize that the arcade machines in the back room have more potential for profit than the laundromat in the front, but your father doesn't share your vision, so you have to expand it in secret. This is like a proper high fantasy game then, yeah? It, it truly is. In, in a world where an arcade is profitable. Well, it is what? 1993, so... Ah. Oh, yeah, they were still doing all right then. Yeah, fair enough. They they were still profitable. Fair enough. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. The economics of this game are sus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. You have to maintain uh, the cleanliness of the place. So there's running around collecting all of the trash that is has accumulated and tossing it into the bin out back, uh, finding gum that's stuck to things and prying it off. But all of these actions, when you perform them, these have like little mini games, just like metered timing button presses, but are really hyped up, mm -hmm. you know, as as if... You're you're doing this mundane task, 
but in your head, you are turning it into this exciting exercise. That's neat. Of thrilling arcade action just to get through the monotony of the day. And I felt so seen. <laughs> yeah. Because this was me in like 1999. Yeah. Pretty good. There's laundry that piles up that you have to do, which it, it I guess it's. Sure, there's wash and fold service at a laundromat. It was not made clear to me that that was going to be my responsibility when my father told me I was taking this job, but whatever. Yeah. It, it does pay pretty well. It's it, it's interesting because the washers and the dryers take the same amount of time. That's never been my experience at a laundromat. <laughs> That's a little odd, but it does help with sort of helping you maintain a schedule and maintain your time and plan things out that these things take the same amount of time because you can be letting some laundry that needs to be washed pile up until the point at which it's done and you move it into the dryer, then you move it into the washer. And then when the dryer's done, you also move the wash out of the washer into the dryer. And it's just a process. And that's good because you want that process because any time you're not doing that, you are incentivized to play the arcade games. There's 35 of them, apparently. And as you play them, they gain more potential to generate revenue. They all have little objectives that you want to try to meet on them. And then they'll earn more money that way. You can adjust how difficult they are and uh, how much it costs to play. And that will vary the amount that they earn every hour also. And the games themselves are the ones I've played, and I've played about half dozen of them, a little more. There's a lot of, it's a lot of very, very familiar stuff, like flash game territory, right? We're talking about uh, basic concepts with slight tweaks, but the tweaks are interesting. They have a dot-eating game that's, you know, it's a Pac-Man clone, right? Mm -hmm. hmm. But it's a Pac-Man clone with Grand Theft Auto trappings. Oh. oh! So you drive, you're driving a Lamborghini around the streets collecting cash while being chased by the cops. <laughs> you can pick up a rampage icon, it turns your car into a tank temporarily, and run the cops over. If the cops catch you, your car is destroyed, but you are now on foot and can run from the cops to find another car elsewhere on the map, shooting them with the power of music to make them dance, because it's the 90s and you can't oh. shoot cops in, a, in an arcade video of game. Of course. Oh. <laughs> that is cute. And the music for it, all of the stuff has, it's a, there's so much musical variety in this, and it sounds like a grand, it sounds like the Grand Theft Auto theme, just not quite. It's very good. It's really enjoyable. You know, they're not all this creative. There's a, a block stacking game where you have uh, multicolored parcels and you have to arrange them so that they're all in parcels of the same color uh, for high. You know, so it's like moving stacks around, rearranging. But some of them are like really pretty deep. There is a match three game with a whole adventure mode map that you have to like explore and uh, get better and collect uh, currency to buy items to make later, later battles easier. And you only get, if you're keeping up with your laundry, you only get three minutes to play these games before you have to stop and go deal with your laundry. 
That part is fascinating to me. Mm. It is an interesting way to balance it out. And you also have to, you know, collect all the money from the machines, put it in the safe, order new machines online. You can rearrange the locations of the machines in there. And the popularity of machines will, if they're, you know, really popular machines, they'll add some shine to the other machines next to them. If for no other reason, maybe then people are playing that while they wait to play the one they really want to play. There's a lot of thought that goes into it. Uh, the mini game where you have to clean the toilet is awesome. And it's not even like a big deal. It's just exhilarating. It's, it's a full on like fight against the toilet. It's great. This game is really, really fun and silly. And, uh, it has a great balance between, you know, running your tasks and, and playing all of these little games. I was a little bit bored by it at first until I realized that the point of it wasn't for me to like make sure that all the laundry was getting done. It was making sure I maximized the amount of time in the arcade. And once I accepted that, it became a lot more fun. Because hmm. I was looking at this, the front end sim, the front door sim part of it and thinking to myself, gosh, it's kind of lame that like you pick up, you come in in the morning and you pick up a whole bunch of trash. The whole place is littered with trash, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me if the place has been closed the whole time. Where did all this trash come from? Meanwhile, throughout the course of the whole day, you see people in the place, but no trash appears. And that just felt weird to me until it clicked that, no, I'm thinking about this all wrong. Of course, it's called Arcade Paradise. It's about the arcade. Spend the time in the arcade. Do the arcade stuff. Not all the games are good. There's a, a, an air hockey that you start with that just sucks. There's never been, a, I think, a good video game adaptation of air hockey. And, and this is, even by those standards, kind of clunky with the uh, controls. Um, aiming mm. to hit the puck is not good. I, I mean, I feel like I've had more fun playing an Atari version of this mm. than this 2022 release. Yikes. But at the same time, it comes with three goals to complete. In each one of the goals that you complete increases the amount that the machine earns in there. And the three goals, one of them is win a game. One of them is play five games, which is actually harder than you'd think until you realize how you can apply the third goal, which is get three own goals. Oh. Mm. So anytime you score a goal on your side, the puck starts on your side of the field. So you just own goal yourself through five games real quick, and then you're done with the fucking thing. You never have to touch it again if you don't want to. You can leave that one goal unresolved. You're still getting a bonus from it. It's one of the easiest ones to do. Yeah, it's a fun little game. It's pretty well written. I like the story with the, the family dynamic. Uh, they, they're doing a good job of, of planting information. Uh, you have an older sister who you're kind of in cahoots with on this. And she had previously had her own dream of opening an arcade, but it didn't pan out for her. And she's wound up taking a job with the city. But this has allowed her to be in a position to streamline your permit process <laughs> and sort of shield it from your father so that you can expand the back room without his awareness. And so it's all like really narratively consistent. The world building's good. This sounds terrific. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really quite, I'm quite enjoying it. Yeah. 
like I I saw trailers. I was interested. Yeah. Um, when you said you played it, I was like, well, I hope to hear good things, and I'm hearing great things. I I think I need to push this up my list of stuff to mm. play over the next week. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. Uh, I'm I'm quite happy with it, and and the amount, the delivery rate of new content, uh, for it is pretty strong. Like I'm about a week of game time in at this point. And I am starting to get more and more just checklisty stuff added all the time mm. that it has other benefits. You know, now my dad is offering me another set of things to do that he's going to pay me to do. But the currency, he's going to pay me in pounds uh, sterling, not U.S. dollars. So I can't use this money for the things that I would be using U.S. dollars for, but hey, I've got another marketplace now that I can purchase things from his list on. And so I might have to reprioritize a couple of things that I want for my arcade, but I'm going to have to take time away from playing in the arcade to do these things. It's it's cool. I like it. It's fun. You should check it out. Arcade Paradise. It's good. Yeah. You've, you've sold me. Yeah. I, I am very excited. Other things I've played this week... Like, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of depth on this, but I've I've been playing the uh, PS5 re remake remaster of uh, the Last of Us, the the first Last of Us, and I can get like the bulk of this out of the way for most people. If you already own the Last of Us and you're like, hey, do I need this new version? If you don't need the accessibility settings, you don't need this version. It looks nicer, sure, but. It is a full price $60 release compared to you can buy the PS4 one second hand for considerably cheaper. And if you play it on PS5, it has functions like the um, adaptive trigger stuff added in and things like that. You don't need this version generally. Mm. It is a very nice looking version of the game. But for most people, if you already own the game or even if you don't already own the game and just want to do it on the cheap, you're not missing out if you don't pick this version up. That said, I do want to talk about the accessibility stuff in it because I feel kind of of two minds about it. The simple way to talk about it is this is one of the most accessible video games ever made and is like all of the uncritical praise I had for The Last of Us 2's accessibility settings stands because for the most part, all of those settings have been ported over to the first game. You know, basically completely intact. Everything that I praised The Last of Us 2 for as being an accessible game is here in this. Here's the thing, though. I feel okay being critical about this game for a couple of reasons. First of all, because all of this accessibility stuff is being locked behind a full-price new release and is not being ported into the old versions of the game. Secondly, because of the fact that some of the new stuff it tries, I'm glad they tried, but they really kind of missed the mark on. And... I feel it's important to be critical because Naughty Dog has managed to create something incredibly close to perfection in the accessibility space when it comes to AAA games. And I'm being critical here not because I think they've done a terrible job, but because they are so close to getting it perfect that their shortcomings are kind of more notable as a result. Yeah. And they have to, like, as far as accessibility goes, Naughty Dog keeps going above and beyond. And so for a company that cares that much, this kind of feedback is so much more valuable. And, then, and that's the thing. Like, I don't feel so bad being critical because I feel like they will look at it and go, yep, we understand you are asking because, you know, you want us to do better and we can do better. So yeah, 
th- th- there's two main like selling point features I think that this has over The Last of Us 2. One of them I really want to read some reviews from deaf and hard of hearing players about because I'm not super equipped to have a great opinion on it. They have introduced a feature to have a haptic rumble through the controller when voice is being spoken um, during dialogue. The idea here being that if you've got a completely no-hearing deaf player who is reading subtitles but is not getting any of the like tone, intonation, pacing of that dialogue because it's purely text on screen, that different kinds of rumble can be used to convey the way that a line is being said, the pacing with which it's being said. It's very similar to, uh, in terms of what it's trying to achieve, I think, with uh, when Forza Horizon 5 put British Sign Language, uh, an American Sign Language interpreter support in earlier this year. Yeah, It's trying to get across those nuances of language that pure text alone doesn't necessarily convey, and if it works, and if it is successful, it is a really interesting feature, and I really want to know if this works well, because if so... It is probably an easier thing for game developers to implement than lots and lots and lots of variants of sign language interpreter support, and I'm very curious about that setting. The one that I'm critical of is audio descriptions for blind and partially sighted um, partially sighted and sightless players. This game is playable start to finish by completely sightless players, and as was the case with The Last of Us 2, which is fantastic. My biggest complaint about The Last of Us 2 in that regard was... There was no audio descriptions. If some, someone was mechanically able to play start to finish, the only bits of the narrative they would really get were spoken dialogue. And it is an undeniable step forward that this remake of The Last of Us Part 1 has audio descriptions during cutscenes. It definitely helps. The problem is, they are only present in big capital C cutscenes, which is very little of this game that does ah. a lot of in-engine things that aren't technically cutscenes. A lot of things where you are on rails and have control of the camera, but it's not a cutscene. Or we took control of you you away from you, but just like for like 15 seconds and then you'll be back into gameplays. We don't count that as a cutscene. Most of the game is not audio described. And it feels like such a fucking missed opportunity because like very early on in that game, you've got a scene where Joel is driving with his brother and his kid in the back of the car. And this is like your big opening set piece where the the big infection outbreak is, is finally happening for the first time. And that is an on-rail segment where you're in the back of a car just looking around. It would have been a perfect opportunity to do audio descriptions because you know exactly what's going to be happening exactly when. It's not audio described. The audio descriptions for The Last of Us Left Behind, the little DLC story that's set in the um, abandoned uh, shopping shopping mall, which is like a big part of its tone, they never once mention in the audio descriptions that it is set in a... Like, they don't mention that location. They don't tell right. you it's in an abandoned shopping centre. You would have no idea. Even just, like, very brief... Like, a couple of word descriptions of locations, or a couple of word descriptions when you, uh, like, enter a new area to fight new enemies, describing the enemies you're encountering, describing what they look like, describing their movement, their behaviour, giving you some context for what you're fighting. The audio descriptions are great, but it feels like such a missed opportunity that I probably wouldn't be so critical of if this were all being put into existing versions of the game. But when this is one of the big things they've been selling this like brand new version of the game on, I think if someone's heard this one has audio descriptions and heard nothing else, 
you're going to be really disappointed by how infrequently they show up. There's also a lot of technical problems, like when uh, accessibility-focused dialogue is read to sightless players, if there is also like characters in the game world talking, the accessibility dialogue is put to near mute so you can hear the, the narration, and it isn't replayed, so you could miss important accessibility information because the game talked story over it. Things like this, I could excuse if they were trying to put this into the original game and like the original game structure didn't allow them to make some of these changes, but they have hammered on and on about the fact this is a ground up complete remake from the ground up completely yeah. from scratch and that makes me more critical of these these things because it's like you made a big point of it like ah oh, we had to do it from the ground up right from the beginning that is when you should have been put it like working on these things like these are the kind of things that you expect when you know you're bolting stuff on not when you're completely remaking an experience and like i want to be really clear this is still probably the second most accessible video game ever. Maybe the maybe it's more accessible than The Last of Us 2 in some regards. It is right at the apex of what we're doing in terms of accessibility, but I don't want that to stop me from being critical of the fact that it really feels like they have kind of half-assed the audio descriptions, and that, like, everything with The Last of Us 2 in terms of accessibility, I would say, look at what Naughty Dog did and aim for that. Yeah. This is the first thing they've done where I'd go, aim for, like, if you're another game developer looking at this as a way to do audio descriptions, aim for what Naughty Dog did and push to exceed them. Because they are a great first example, but there is so much further you can go with this. And mm -hmm. again, like with Forza Horizon 5, I am so glad that someone tried to do the thing that is difficult, that there are no examples of how to do in video games yet. I'm glad someone tried, but the first attempt that exists does not go far enough, and I really want to see someone take that ball and run with it. Even if it's Naughty Dog, I want to see Naughty Dog consider quite how much of that game still has zero context for people who can technically play through it, but are missing out on so much of like the minute to minute of that game. So yeah, I recognise I got a little got a little intense there, but like I No no, all very valuable stuff. Yeah, it's been a really complicated one to know how to talk about because like it's weird to feel this annoyed at a game that like is probably still the best example we have in AAA games of, of accessibility yeah. for a wide range of disabilities. Well I can understand how it could be more frustrating to get so close and so far, you know? Yeah. And like I, I say this because I think they're so close to perfection, I really hope they take that on board. Yeah. Yeah, who else has played something? You played anything else this week, Steph? I have. I have played, in fact, I've been playing it off and on while we've been talking, which I don't usually do, but uh, Jetpack Joyride 2 mm -hmm. uh, came out recently. Now, I don't know if either of you are familiar with the original. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Jetpack Joyride was um, created by Halfbrick, uh, most well-known for Fruit Ninja. Um, it stars Barry Steakfries, which is a character from probably their most obscure game, which was like a PSP mini. Um, I forget what it was called, but it was like some zombie, time-traveling zombie shooter thing. Of course, I mostly like Halfbrick because of Rascals, which I had a little King Rascal, little tiny statue, and I can't find it. I'm really cut up about that. But 
Jetpack Joyride was a pretty big hit, not Fruit Ninja big, but as I understand, it was pretty damn popular. It's a mobile phone game, an endless runner, uh, where you steal a jetpack that shoots bullets underneath it to keep it floating. And it's kind of got that Flappy Bird thing to it as well, where you sort of, you're not tapping, but you're like holding the button to fly up and you let go to go down and you're avoiding lasers and missiles and stuff like that. And it's just an endless thing. You know, you start a run and just keep going with that excellent fucking music playing. That was like the best bit of Jetpack Joyride was the theme tune. And this is different like mechanically pretty much the same you know you have the jetpack you're avoiding missiles and and lasers and that but it's not an endless runner anymore it's broken up into levels with a story this time uh which is probably the weakest bit it's just like you know little speech bubbles in between levels that try to be funny and are not so yeah it's broken up into levels it's got combat this time which is interesting at times, various enemy robots and, and things will come in from the screen and will either shoot at you or charge at you, and your character will automatically start shooting. So you just got to line up the shots while avoiding, excuse me, while avoiding obstacles. And there's tons of upgrades as well now. Um, you can upgrade your health and your attack and unlock new temporary weapons. Like there are weapon pickups throughout each level, like a spread shot or um, a pigeon launcher, uh, laser beam, flamethrower, stuff like that. Uh, the vehicles have changed. In the original Jetpack Joyride, uh, you'd occasionally get vehicles like you'd ride on the back of a metal dragon or you'd be in this like mech that would stomp about. What they've done this time is it takes you to a different type of game when you pick up a vehicle. It just changes everything. Like the Gravity Suit, which was actually based on a, a, another iOS game from years ago, where you tap um, to change gravity so that you're, you know, running on the floor, you tap, then you run on the ceiling. What it does in this now is it you're not just doing that in the level Everything gets this 80s aesthetic and the obstacles are completely different, um, like flipping laser doors and little platforms that speed you up or slow you down and little items that float up and down, uh, depending on uh, what you've done to the gravity. Uh, there's a UFO uh, that turns it into more of a, a side-scrolling shooter. Really interesting uh, that they did that. Um, I'm not sure if I prefer this, any of this to the original, because the original just had a simplicity to it, but I do like it. Not too sold on the art style. The original was um, sort of your pixel retro kind of looking thing. This one is more of that kind of flash look at, like flash game looking animation, like upscale flash sort of angry birds or something like that. Very cartoony. And the music isn't as good. The levels are broken up. Um, or grouped together in various chapters, and each one has a sort of remix of the original theme tune, none of which are as good. But yeah, I, I am enjoying it. Uh, I put so much time into the, the first Jetpack Joyride, even this year, when I got Apple Arcade up and running and didn't have access to a lot of my consoles and stuff because of my living situation. Uh, I was on my phone with Jetpack Joyride a lot. So I was kind of excited about a, a sequel, and I do respect that they didn't just do the same thing. 
Because they could have done that. They could have just been like, here's more Jetpack Joyride with some new weapons and vehicles and stuff. But the idea of breaking it all up into levels with boss fights, like it has bosses now, all of which are pretty neat. Fairly simple, but pretty neat. And yeah, it's on Apple Arcade and everything. It probably won't be as big as the original because I think it's just... It's harder for things to take off, especially on iOS, if it's not like a fucking Clash of Clans ripoff. Um, but it is good. I, I am enjoying it. Yay. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Conrad? you played anything else this week? I replayed Control. Ah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, so I, found, I, I, I got a notification from Sony that my PlayStation Plus was about to expire. And I finally hit the wall on the sunk cost fallacy with regards to PlayStation Plus. Hmm. I I simply don't use my PlayStation. I just don't. Yeah. It's not any any knock on the quality of the content or anything. I, it's just it's not part of my life. Uh, and while I still maintain that the base level of PlayStation Plus is pretty solid offering for what you're paying. I'm just done, I think. But that does mean that I'm going to lose access to a ton of shit that I've accumulated in the library over years and years and years. And one of the things that's a part of that was the expanded complete version of Control. I had never bought the DLC. I bought the, the, the game when it launched. I don't think I ever bought the season pass. And then the definitive edition was released as a PlayStation Plus release. And so I... It was like, all right, well, I'll just play that version. And now that's going away. And I thought, oh, well, gosh, I should just I should play that. So I went to the version of it that I got for free on Epic some time ago, and I bought the DLC from Epic. <laughs> 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 um, which maybe wasn't the best choice because it, it crashed a fair bit playing it on PC. It didn't like some things with my video card occasionally. It wasn't overwhelmingly bad, but occasionally frustrating. Did lead to a cloud save mix-up that caused me to lose a few hours of progress. But other than that, pretty smooth. God, that's a great game. It is. It is such a good game. It's funny because I went into it and I I did I, I started replaying Control again not maybe a year ago. But I, I went into it with the thinking of, all right, well, this is going to be fine and all, uh, but I know eventually I'm going to get level levitation, and that's when the game really gets good. And then I'm running around, playing Control, I'm like, wait a minute, no. This game fucking rocks from go. Like, it is consistently good. I really enjoy the combat in that. I don't fuck around with melee all i do is get as soon as i get telekinesis that's everything to me it's my life i just fling everything around and it's so satisfying to walk into a room and just wave your hand around and shit fly about it's great the world is so fully realized that i get drawn into it again i'm reminded of things that i'd forgotten about i'm reading things and questioning if they were there before and I missed them or if they weren't there before and surreptitiously added into a pass in a, in through a patch or is the oldest house changing in front of me and 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 what is the um uh how do you spell Berenstain bears you know uh <laughs> it, so that's been really fun and I like I I'm 
I knew when I played Control that Alan Wake was related to it. I've played it past the installation of the Alan Wake content to the extent that I got Levitation, and yet I somehow felt like I was finding more references to Alan Wake in the game this time than I ever have before. And, and that's without talking about the AWE expansion, which I did finally get around to playing, mm-hmm. uh, and is very interesting and recontextualizes and calls into question so much about control as a game. And I, I really, I don't, I don't really know, uh, Maybe we do live in a simulation. Control's really just fucking with me this week. Um, and I'm, I'm loving every minute of it and, uh, loving brutalist architectural design and fighting with darkness again. That was, it was interesting the way they carried over light and dark mechanics from Alan Wake, but had to recontextualize them for the gameplay of Control, and they did that in an interesting way. God, they're good, and I can't wait for Alan Wake 2. Yes, very much. Yeah. I'll tell you what, right? Because I Control is certainly not my favourite of, of that studio's games. I, I actually preferred uh, um, Quantum Break, which is controversial, because a lot of people don't. I'm about to play that. I've decided I'm going to finally yeah. get around to playing Quantum Break, because it's the only Remedy game I haven't played. I really liked it. A lot of people would disagree with that. You know, it's probably their least popular, but I, I, I thought it was really good. But regardless of anything, Control has the best bonk sound effect when you hit someone ah. with a fire extinguisher <laughs> it is still just the most satisfying sound in the world couldn't agree more oh and, and just like every aspect of that game feels like it was meticulously worked over to try and and best convey the experience of being in this place like all of the audio effects and and the video content and and just how it's it's all so fucking weird and yet yeah yeah this makes sense i i i feel like this could this is how this world would be i i feel at home in it which is such the character's journey too narratively and i just it it all functions in, in such a beautiful package so yeah replay control do that i actually started very recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, because uh, it was great on deck. Mm. And then I uninstalled it because it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't play that on deck, but. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've got it on console as well, so I, I'm i tempted to replay it. I, I, I could go for replaying it at some point. Yeah. I need to do the DLC too. Yeah. So other things, I, I, I'm going to rattle through one other thing I've played this week, trying to get through it nice and quick. I've played the first three episodes of an episodic game that's going to have five episodes uh, called We Are OFK. Oh, yeah, I, I saw you were playing that on your Twitch channel. Yeah, yeah, twitch.tv slash laurakbuzz, go, go watch it. Yeah, so this this is a... I keep wanting to compare it to something like a Telltale game or those kind of choice-based adventure games, and it's not, in that 
I saw someone describe it as more of a TV show that you shape the tone of moments on, and I think that that's kind of fair. It doesn't feel like the kind of choices that you're making are necessarily making huge branching impacts on the narrative, but it is a narrative that you have some say in the tone and like the sort of small character moments of, but is very much a it is telling a story, be a little part of it. And like that that can take a little a little adjusting to. I don't mind that as a setup, I've been quite enjoying it, but it's something that I can see if you go in expecting it to be more than it is, um, you know, it isn't gonna click for you. I really like the characters, the presentation, and the overall um narrative. It is at its core a story about four twenty-something dysfunctional queer people in probably LA trying to start a band together while also working through all of their various baggage that they have as queer people, and all of the characters have been written really well and very well performed to balance. They all have something that is a very relatable thing preventing them giving their all to this project they want to commit to, mm -hmm. and the interplay between all the characters has been really nice. I have very much enjoyed, like, I found it, I found it very funny, very well paced. Um, it has some really sweet moments and some very apt insights on a lot of uh, aspects of, of queer experience. I very much feel very deeply for all of these absolute train wreck of a set of characters that I, I very much just, I just want everything to be okay for them, and I understand why they're struggling with you know, issues of self, be it self-doubt or concerns with homo controlling homophobic parents or whatever it is, but it's all held together by the fact that, like, each one of these maybe hour-long episodes ends with a original piece of music and an interactive music video that feels very in line with something like Sayonara Wild Hearts in that... Uh, very stylish presentation that you don't have a huge amount of gameplay interaction with, but it's just enough to really get you emotionally invested in the very well put together music and visual that's happening. And those set pieces really do a great job of solidifying like a emotional tone at the end of each of these what feel like TV episodes and have done a really good job. Like a narrative like this I think lives and dies on whether the music that is being made by this fictional band you're supposed to care about is any good, and it's really good. I've been really enjoying it. Like Outside of the context of the narrative, the three episodes that are out so far with the three songs in them, I've put, I've added all three of them to my, my, like, my playlist of stuff I listen to. I have been really enjoying them. I'm curious to see where it where it where it ends up. Um, like right right where I am right now, we're three fifths of the way into a narrative, and it's hit the point of everything has gone bad, and we have to build back up to the the good. And everything has so far been incredibly well handled. I just want to wait. A, like they're releasing an episode a week, so like uh, I think the day after this episode goes up, the next one releases. So like in a week or two, I should be able to talk about the full experience. So far. I'm very much enjoying it, but I know that its lack of much in the way of gameplay or ability to deviate the narrative is not going to be for everyone. So yeah, we are OFK. It was pretty neat. Mm -hmm. 
Steph, have you been playing anything else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll rattle through um, just two games I've been replaying. Um, I've been replaying A Plague Tale Innocence, uh, one of my favourite games of all time. Probably my absolute favourite game of 2019, I believe, is when it was out. That sequel's coming soon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the end of the year, I want to say October. That sounds right. Yeah, it's imminent, Requiem which I've deliberately not been following too much about so that I can be surprised. I watched a bit of a gameplay trailer uh, yesterday, actually, and I'm very excited by where it looks like they've expanded the gameplay. Mm. But going back to the, the first one, it's still brilliant. It's just brilliant. The atmosphere, the mood, the tone, the writing, the dialogue, the, the performances, the gameplay, like it's, it's just it's brilliant. I cannot praise it enough to this day. The puzzles with the rats and just the, the sheer squickiness of the rats themselves. The, the environmental puzzles with using light to drive them away or, or dropping bags of meat to send them running. Really good. The stealth is still some of my favourite stealth ever. And it's, it's kind of a linear stealth. Um, I like the term. The, the term I use for it is directed stealth. Um, and we saw this in the Spider-Man, um, the Insomniac Spider-Man game with the Miles Morales sections as well, mm. where people have criticized this type of stealth as being too linear. But I really like it because I call it directed stealth because it allows the game to set the, the pace of the stealth section to the point where it keeps you feeling like you are like a hair's breadth away from getting caught and it can be terrifying yes so with these sections in in uh, a plague tale yeah it's fairly straightforward and for some of it even you just have to press forward and so so long as you didn't stop pressing forward you will not be detected but because the timing is so tightly directed, it feels like you are a step away from getting caught all the time. And it's fucking good. And there are some more open-ended areas, but I don't like them, honestly, as much as the linear stuff. Where there is only one way to do it, one direction to go. But because of that, the game has such, such a better control over how scary that stealthy is yeah uh, so yeah i i i god it's so good it's such a such a good game and it's just got so many just like memorably horrifying moments uh the the farm where all the pigs have been slaughtered the battlefield uh between uh where the french and the english have been fighting and you've just got a it's just a sea of bodies there's that amazing section where you've got a torch and you're driving the rats away so you can move forward but there is a, a, a an english soldier trapped at the end of the corridor and you are just driving the rats towards him while amicia the main character is apologizing and the music is like just these haunting strings and it's it's just fabulous so i've been replaying that and loving it, it I've, I've had such a it's it's just yeah, I, I, I cannot stop praising it, and I really I'm hoping that the sequel is is as good. I've also been replaying uh, Alien Isolation, and it's almost made I'm almost angry playing this because it is the best looking game you can get on a console to this day. 
I'm convinced of that replaying it now. It's yeah. so fucking gorgeous. It really is. And it's a last gen game and it looks better. Like I've been playing on, um, now that I've got my Xbox um, Series X set up, I've been doing a lot more Game Pass. Uh, so I've got Alien Isolation on other systems, but I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'll, I'll get it on the Xbox as well since that's on a lot. And replaying it, like, it is so... The lighting, Mm. the crispness of the visuals, like, everything is just so clean and deliberate and nothing, like... There's no... It's seamless. Everything, it looks beautiful. And then I play, like, Halo Infinite, and I'm like, Halo Infinite can't visually hold a torch to this game. And that's a current-gen game. That's, like... Microsoft's flagship title and and you know I won't just pick on on Halo or Microsoft like Alien Isolation to this day looks better than in my opinion anything on the PS5 as well I mean there there is something you know some some of it definitely is is to do with the fact that it is it is a sort of linear corridor experience that like is is definitely not trying to do that big sort of big open scope thing a lot of games are but like even setting that aside, yeah, it is such an achievement what that game pulled off visually. Yeah. It is a fantastic looking game. And like, I have been just wowed replaying it. Um, especially because I, I originally played it on PC. And, you know, I had a good monitor. But there's something different about playing it on the big TV. Especially because mm. I've got the new big TV, which is just like, you know... Is, is gorgeous screen wise um so i played it on pc and i played it on switch and that the switch version is still a fucking technical achievement yeah but pl- like this is now sort of my first time playing it like on a big fucking like brand new mm. tv and i am just stunned it's it's one of those games that i take my time playing because i'm constantly stopping and looking around um, and it runs at 60 frames per second flawlessly, more or less. No, no, not even more or less. Flawlessly. Full stop. Mm. It's beautiful. And and in my opinion, nothing on current gen systems have matched that. And that game is, like, fucking old now. Yeah, when, when did that come out? <sighs> Let's see. I was still married when it came out. Uh... I'm looking now. Twenty, God, 2014. Oh, that is an older shit. game than I thought it was. I'd have guessed 15. That's wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say like maybe 2017 or something, but uh, fuck. God, yeah, that is about about as old as this podcast, which is a lot. <laughs> yeah, and it's still like it's the only game I've played this year where I was like my jaw dropped at the visuals. And it's a game I've already played before and is, like, knocking on eight years old. Playing Halo did not do that. Playing any of the PS5 games did not do that. Alien Isolation is still jaw-dropping. And still a really good fucking game Mm. uh, on top of all that. So, yeah. Uh, Did anyone play anything else? Uh, No. No? Uh, I think that's everything I've played. Okay. 
Well, then let me quickly, because I know we've talked a lot about, we've done a lot of gameplay talk this week. We have. Yeah. Uh, so let me just quickly take you on a little tiny trip before we get to the news too. Stephanie's Wee Wee Corner. There we go. Oh, there we go. You've committed. I've committed. Sorry, I, I still got my wooden frog. I love it. It's a very good wooden frog. It's a good, it's a it's a good croak. Um, yes, so Stephanie's Wee Wee Corner. Been picking up tons of um, Wii games lately. I played a bit of a Puna, Ooh. the Tecmo Koei RPG, which was pretty obscure. It, it, it was one I always wanted to get around to just because I'm a big Dynasty Warriors fan and for a while was just like trying everything Tecmo Koei ever put out, most of which was Drek. Opuna's fine. It's a very straightforward uh, RPG where you... It's weird. It looks almost... It seems as if they wanted to make it use the Wii like interface and then change their mind. Because mm. to attack, you've got this little ball that floats above your character's head. And to attack, you like hold down the stick on the nunchuck and then let go. And the longer you hold down, the the more powerful the attack. And if you push up on the stick, you attack with the ball from overhead, left or right, it'll swing round. So it looks all set up for swinging it with the remote. You know, swing up to attack from overhead, swing down to attack straight forwards. But it doesn't do that. And, and it's curious because otherwise it's like, why did you do this? <laughs> why didn't you just let me press buttons because this is not all that convenient uh, uh, a combat system it's weird in that it's it's pre-built for motion gimmickry but doesn't have any other than that it's it's fine it's very simple and cute uh you know you're this weird little bald alien kid uh fighting monsters um and that's that really I put Mad Dog McCree into my Wii system <laughs> thinking, because I've never actually played it. I used to see it. I used to go to a bowling alley in the 90s and there was a Mad Dog McCree machine. So I used to look at it. And it would always tell you that you were yellow, right? I believe. So I can't remember that. Probably did. But yeah, yeah. Like it used to, it caught my eye because, you know, it was one of those FMV games and, and right. it was attention getting. And I just thought it was a case of, well, it's going to be a, an on-rails arcade shooter. Oh, no. No, no. It's fucking incomprehensible is what it is. It's Dragon's Lair with uh, pointing. Yeah, but I, I can't get my head around it. Like, I, I've been able to shoot some people, but then it throws me into these duels where my bullets aren't loaded and I have to... I guess reload the bullets and shoot them, but there's not enough time and you can't reload before they draw their gun, by which point they're already shooting. And and I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And then there is like one where like I'm shooting, I shot, there was a bad cowboy and I shot him bang and he died. And there was another bad cowboy, I shot him bang and he died. And then I was just shot. I don't get it. Mad Dog McCree's incomprehensible to me. Steph... I, I feel obliged to remind you that this was an arcade machine. Uh, it was an expensive play, mm. and uh, it, it it was intended to 
to encourage you to fail and try again. Yeah, yeah. Let's trial and error bullshit. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. I just don't. I don't get it. I, I, I need to Google how those jewels are supposed to work because <laughs> it's just bizarre. And yeah, uh, the other quickly uh, quick thing uh, was uh, I got a hold of a copy of Wii Sports, obviously. Well, yeah. You know, I know they say Wii Sports Resort is the better one, but Wii Sports is the one everyone played. Briefly played that with the kids yesterday. The eldest is a fucking natural. He's just got an aptitude for these things. Played some Wii Bowling and he was just striking constantly. Uh, the three-year-old, trying to teach him to do it is because you know at three you don't have like simple coordination down yet mm -hmm. so like i'm trying to like teach him like you hold the trigger and then bowl under arm and let go of the trigger just the trigger not the remote <laughs> this is why i feel like tennis is the one that you pitch it's the one where you just waggle it and no buttons i wanted to pitch it but they the eldest wasn't fucking interested yeah and i i i have another a second remote now so they could hopefully play that together because good lord they don't want to take turns no um, like like bowling was lit i was like bowling this is perfect it's literally set up turn-based so the eldest can have a go then the youngest can have a go and they can play together my god the moment like it was the other one's turn like Tears. Yeah. Tears and screaming. Yeah, that does not surprise me. And I'm like, mate, you'll have it back in two minutes. But yeah, I, I'm i quite proud of myself that I actually got the the three-year-old to a point where not only did he do it, he got a strike at one point. Nice. Oh. Yeah. I, he, he soon forgot like how to do it every time he started his turn again, but... Mm. It was, I, I'm, I've got terrible patience for things like this. I get very frust frustrated very easily. Um, so it was definitely exhausting, like trying to get him to, to follow the direction, but he picked it up because uh, he's smart as a whip, that one. So that was good. Well, that and just have an art attack with the way they fucking treat hardware and stuff. Mm. As someone who's recently repaired a Joy-Con, yes. Yes, yes, you know all too well how um, how that can go. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was just the amount of snatching and standing on the connection cord between the nunchuck and the remote. I'm like, don't stand yeah. on it! But yeah, yeah. Um, also, you know, they, they believed that the closer they were to the TV, the better they'd do. So they're like, they they don't understand the concept of the sensor bar. So they're like, just they've got the remote just pressed against the screen, and they're just smushing it around. Yeah, and then the eldest played a bit of Kirby's Epic Yarn and really got on with that. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that is that yeah. is a charming little game. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, went out today, got a cheap third party Wii remote, so that I don't have to have kittens every time they using my one um so yeah that was a little brief trip to stephanie's wee wee corner Woo. yeah well should we rattle through a few bits of news i'll probably trim the uh, the news down a little bit because we're like an hour and a half in yeah we really went in on game talk yeah we did we really did so we'll, we'll, we'll crack through a couple of the bigger things this week a story from the last two weeks, because we didn't do news last week, that I've seen doing the rounds a lot, but people haven't really talked about beyond the headline. Sony is being sued for £5 billion for, quote, 
ripping people off on the PlayStation Store. Do either of you know anything about this lawsuit? No. No. Okay. So here is the basic thing. This is an attempt to set up a class action lawsuit, basically over the same thing as the the Apple and Epic lawsuit. The PlayStation Store has a 30% cut for Sony, and there is a lawyer that is trying to claim that games on PlayStation should be 30% cheaper because, oh, it's a secret fee that Sony's charging that's making your games more expensive, and trying to claim that every person who's ever bought anything on PSN should get refunded 30% of the money they spent on, on whatever game. Now, it's fucking ridiculous, because, like, there's a few things. First of all, every one of the console manufacturers has about that same that same percent. It is not a unique thing to Sony. It's very unclear why they're specifically going for Sony. Second of all, there seems to be no room for Sony to make any money <laughs> in, in what they're arguing. They're like, no, 30% commission is stealing. You're being stolen I mean, from. Okay, uh, um, well, like, there, I mean, I, I mean... I mean, you know, if you want to talk about uh, what they are doing in terms of holding a marketplace and restraint and the technology to create your own and, and access it and walling off their guard. I mean, yeah, but we don't live in that world. <laughs> but like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not like you're for multi-platform games. You're not being charged more for the PlayStation version than other versions no of course not they are they they are simply uh i, I don't want to minimize the labor that goes on at sony yeah. in hosting these files however <laughs> but they are also they are also raking yes. in money for nothing i understand that like they are just fucking making money but like the the way it's being presented is like the 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 it seems like a stunt lawsuit in that it's like it's totally being played for you've you've been stolen from maybe you'll get you'll you'll get a payout of hundreds of pounds i can't see any serious minded person looking at this and thinking this has a shot no this is this is a, a stunt yeah He's trying to claim that any person in the UK who's purchased anything on PlayStation since 2016, um, which is about 9 million people, uh, should be in line to expect a five, uh, around £562 plus interest payment from Sony. And it's like, yeah, it's... None of none of that's going to fucking happen. So I I have I've already said some things about how I feel about this as a legal maneuver and its viability. Um, but I would like to say that provided it never actually goes any further than this, uh, you know, like to a point where somebody is trying to collect money for representing people in this case or something of that nature. Um, as long as it stops here, I support this lawsuit <laughs> because I support anything that might increase the awareness that people have of how consider how much of the money that they are paying for a game is going to people that have really no involvement in the creative decisions of the game. No, they are merely operating a marketplace. Mm. And I think that that's valuable. I think it's valuable for developers because the more people are aware of that and resistant to that, the more leverage developers might be able to get in negotiating that down. 
So cool. Thanks for doing this. I yeah. hope that some people gain some awareness from it. Please go away. <laughs> Next story we have is an interesting one. You know how Xbox has been acquiring studios left, right, and fucking center as of late? I do recall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's a headline I didn't expect to see with that in mind, particularly considering, like, you know, Bethesda games are going to be Xbox exclusives going forward, things like that. Uh, Xbox's Phil Spencer wants to see fewer platform exclusives. I mean, I, I believe that that's true. Like, yeah. I think Phil's, no, I, I think Phil Spencer wants to see fewer platform exclusives. I also think that that doesn't mean he doesn't want them all on Xbox. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird one because like this was a, this, this came as part of an interview with Bloomberg and it's like the Bloomberg, look, Bloomberg do fantastic reporting. There is no pushback on these quotes in this interview. No, like, how does that square up with all of the making things exclusive you keep doing? <laughs> So yeah, Xbox boss Phil Spencer said he'd like to see more game releases that are not tied down to one specific platform, which will in turn allow for more cross-play opportunities. There's a few quotes in it that are interesting that I think might shine a line on what he actually means. He does a lot of talking about like less of uh, less and less of in future. Uh, there's a quote where he says, uh, "Where is it?" He, he he believes that fewer exclusives would be good for the industry in the long run. <laughs> Which seems like a get out of jail free card for like in the short term we want to be the best, but like in the long run, yeah, we shouldn't have exclusives. But right in the short run, you know, in in the long run, you're right. That would be best for everyone. But unfortunately, we think in terms of next quarter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it it, it does line up with apparently Microsoft is saying for now, Call of Duty will remain a multi platform release after the acquisition. But like, yeah. Xbox and Microsoft, it's weird for you to be saying that when you are literally buying up exclusives faster than I think any other console maker right now. It's, yeah. So that's that's a thing that happened. Uh, and the last one, hey, who loves De Nouveau here? De Nouveau anti-cheat. Ooh, me, me. Would you like it in more places, not just on PC? Oh, I would love that. I, w- I want De Nouveau in everything. Well, De Nouveau agrees with you because uh, they would like to get their anti-cheat software onto the Nintendo Switch. Oh, yay. Fun. So, like, here's... Here's the thing, the way they're pitching this, and to be clear, Nintendo has no part in this, Nintendo has not said, we are making an initiative to have De Nouveau on our games on Switch, this is nothing to do with Nintendo. De Nouveau has gone out of their way to, I think, make a very interesting proposition, even if I fucking hate the idea, which is that they've tried to pitch themselves as a solution to a problem we've talked about on this show a fair amount, which is... The Switch has a real rampant problem with uh, with piracy because of hardware level ability to access like debug tools, and they're trying to pitch it as a solution to that problem. Oh, yeah. There's a quote in here that really, really drives home what they're doing because they don't. It's clear Nintendo because if Nintendo wanted a solution to this problem or really was that concerned about it, they would have fixed it by now. They would have put the resources into doing it. So they clearly don't care. They're targeting the third parties who have PC versions. Yes. And I was going to get to this quote because it's fascinating. That's amazing. Yeah. Nintendo consoles have long suffered from piracy issues and the Switch is no different. 
even if a game is protected against piracy on its PC version, the released version on Switch can be emulated from day one and played on PC, therefore bypassing the strong protections offered on the PC version. They're trying to sell this to multi-platform developers who don't want piracy on PC as a way to avoid that. And that's such a, like, I fucking hate this. But it's, it is a fascinating thing though, right? It's really, really smart at, uh, in terms of identifying a access point, an untapped market, and figuring out a way to, like, work your way into it. Like, like a weed in a garden, you know? Yeah. And previously, there's been no, there's been no reason for, like, console-based game uh, developers to want to use Denuvo. And this is a this is a way of going, hey, that's a new market of developers we can sell our tech to. And like it's it's they they have noticed something that like so much of the industry is just ignoring. But as many people have pointed out, like there are so many problems with this other than just like, you know, all the obvious. Particularly for the Switch. The Switch is a system that is handheld and won't always be connected to the internet. Yeah. And already has issues with being powerful enough to run games at decent frame rates and resolutions. Like, the Switch is like one of the worst platforms you could put a performance hit anti-cheat layer on. Mm. And like, all the problems we already see with Denuvo on PC, where there are legitimate performance hits for like, paying players are gonna happen but be more of an issue on switch because of its low uh hardware but also i think people are gonna get a hackers are gonna get around it anyway like they do on pc and again you're just gonna have paying players being affected as is always the case with denuvo but i also think that in this circumstances precisely for the reasons that you know the technical limitations of the switch and the notorious issues that Denuvo has, I think if if some third parties buy in on this, I feel like this is a real short term grift. Like this is a Denuvo should snatch up as many contracts as they possibly can right now, because once implementation happens and people see how bad their Switch versions are that have Denuvo, we're gonna have a generation or two of games like this, and then it's gone. All it needs is the first side-by-side -side video of here is how this game on Switch runs, here's how it how well it's running for the hackers on Switch who've removed the Denuvo. Like, the first one of those you have, and people go, why the fuck am I paying for a game that's running worse than it could be? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think this is sustainable, but in terms of a quick injection, it's, it's clever, I'll give them that. Yeah. It is, it is like, it is a story that is important to know, and I hope fucking falls flat on its face. But yeah, should we, should we make that where we end the news this week? Sure. That works for me. Yeah. 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 I'm okay with that. We may end the news, but there's no end in sight for your prolific career, Laura. And I'd love to hear, as do the listeners, uh, what you're up to at the moment. Well, uh, you can find all the things I do at Laura K Buzz all over the internet. Uh, the big things this week, I have a couple of really big videos about The Last of Us Part 1's accessibility stuff that are up on youtube.com slash Laura K Buzz. Uh, they went up literally as we were recording this today. Um, there is a very in-depth accessibility review. I did a wonderful chat with Steve Saylor, who is a blind gamer and accessibility advocate. 
Go give those a watch. I put a lot of work into them. Uh, other than that, next week, if you're in Norway and you're going to be at Trondheim Pride, I'm going to be there uh, on September the 8th and September the 9th. I'm going to be doing a talk about uh, gen gender euphoria and trans joy. Uh, I think that one's on the 8th. On the 9th is about LGBT representation in video games. Look on their website for times and specifics of, of where they're happening. But yeah, Tr Trondheim Pride. I'm going to be at Pride in another country. So come come say hi if you spot me around. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Where can you be found? Well, before I get to that... Uh... I, I've seen some, I'm, well, breaking news for me, uh, very specific to me, yeah. but I feel that the audience needs to hear it as well. Um, apparently, Cursed to Golf, the game I uh, I was very upset about last week, yeah. has patched in some quality of life improvements, including the ability to skip the whole intros. Now, Ooh. this is just a rumor. As, as far or at this point, I haven't uh, found a secondary source to confirm this fact, nor have I experienced it myself, but I, I will now be going back to that i suspect to uh uh yay so that's that's good Hooray. um you can find me on twitter and instagram at conrad zimmerman uh you could buy anti-capitalist propaganda that i make at pinfultruth.com audiobooks at conradreads.com Listen to me talk about snacks on Let's Talk About Snacks. Uh, check out my cat, One-Eyed Potato, on Instagram. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Yeah, that information has not changed. It's remained a constant. Uh, and you can find that Patreon at patreon.com slash jimquisition which supports um, the show and this podcast and all of that. Um, if you have not watched this week's Jimquisition, I highly recommend it. Oh, it's a fun one. I actually made Linda watch it. Yeah? I rarely make Linda watch the Jimquisition, but but yeah, this week I had to. Yeah, I mean, it's something else. Um, it's called I Made Steam's Most Unlikable Developer Really, Really Mad. That's on the uh, Jim Sterling YouTube channel. Uh, it is all about um, how the developer of Domina, who we talked about on this podcast last week, um, made him yeah. just got, just had such a meltdown over me while I did very, very little uh, and, and just, got himself deplatformed as a result it's a hell of a story he's still going on by the way he's now on gab oh, of, of course he is telling people to protect uh, their kids from the hyper gay um he, he can't help but make me sound awesome <laughs> um so yeah uh, do check that out i also stream at twitch tv slash jim sterling obviously i haven't been doing that because i do not have the internet to do so um i I need to get to Phoenix's and stream from there, hopefully sort of between now and when I, whenever I get internet. Um, so I hate that I've been unable to stream lately, but uh, you can catch me live uh, elsewhere uh, at wrestling shows. My current confirmed dates are September 24th. September 24th, we talked about it earlier, uh, Spectrum Wrestling's debut show Rejoice in Sheffield at the PPW facility. Uh, my next confirmed date is uh, October the 1st. 
October 1st, Manchester, Sovereign Pro Wrestling. Uh, an eight-person tag match, uh, eight-person elimination match. Myself, uh, Kid Bandit, and Simon Miller are all in attendance in that match. Uh, October 8th, Blackpool, PCW. Commander Sterling takes on Simon Miller one-on-one. Um, November 4th, I can't give full details yet but i will be performing in leeds uh i should also be in leicester on november 20th uh newcastle on november 12th i think uh with more details to follow for all of those very busy very booked up um thank you all uh to all of you who come out for that who support the show who listen to this and we will see you all next week thank you so much goodbye bye bye